Continue to breathe in. Don't stop just yet. What now, indeed? That night we all met for a late dinner at my mother's house. We sat there pooling over our futures over bowls of spaghetti, and the good news, the way that Noah saw it, was that we could always find work at the Villa Americana Processing Center. Let's not resort to that just yet, Jess said. Olivia, have you checked in with your monster at all? And Olivia closed her eyes and thought for a moment, and she said, It's difficult. I can still see Mr. Floofles in my head. The visions haven't changed. All right, so maybe it's not too late, I said. Maybe, she said. I don't know. I just, I think whatever happens, it has to be at Windler. That's the only way. And my mother, who up to this point had been silent, said, I have a suggestion. And we all turned to look at her. I think, now hear me out. This whole matter can be solved with a few simple conversations. Let's all take a day, maybe two, and let's gather some information. Let's compose ourselves. Let's go in. Let's have a meeting, not just with President Hewlett, but maybe with Mr. Robeck as well. I'm sure he's got some stake in this, yes? We'll go in, we'll make a case for why you shouldn't be expelled, and then we'll see what happens. Information, I said. Compromising information, said my mother. So, blackmail. Blackmail is such an ugly word, Will. Think of it as an incentive to be chill. But yes, you see, I learned something today at lunch when my mother and I got into a screaming match. When they go low, don't stay high. When they go low, get underneath them and pull them into the dirt and then trample them. And I turned to Dean. What happened to her today? Complicated, he said. And this is where it gets really juicy. So, cut to three days later. My mother had booked an appointment for us in President Hewlett's office. We were scheduled for 10.30 in the morning, but were kept waiting for a good 20 minutes. It's not that he's busy, Heloise told us as we sat outside flipping through old magazines. It's that he wants to keep you waiting so that he can psych you out. Coward's defense suggests... But then, at last, the door opened, and President Hewlett stepped out to greet us. Ah, he said, my 1030s. I'm so sorry to keep you waiting. I was really busy in there. Won't y'all join me? We stood up, and we went inside, and sitting there in the president's desk was Mr. Robeck. Next to him was Marley Leapshat, and on either side of the desk, posed almost like guards, stood Tristan and Brayton. Well, said President Hewlett, let's all have a seat. There's nowhere to sit, said Noah. I said, have a seat. We all sat on the floor. Stellar, said Mr. Hewlett. Now, Dr. Ballard, it's my understanding that you're here to attempt to convince us that these children should be given yet another chance to enter this university. That is correct, said my mother. I believe that it was a mistake to expel them. I see. And do you plan to offer us a bribe of some sort? No, said my mother. Oh. Well, this might go quicker than we thought. Let's start with the easy stuff. I will not be blamed for the dead chauffeur. And Mr. Robeck said, What I want you all to understand is these children have committed heinous acts of vandalism against our campus. They set about to stir up civil commotion and caused a disruption that led to the destruction of several million dollars worth of artificial intelligence programs built especially for this school. Did they now, said my mother. Did they stir up commotion, Alan? Well, I dare say they did. 
How perplexing for you, said my mother. It's creature derangement syndrome, said Marley Leapshots. I've been saying it all along. I'm sure it is, said my mother. Now with that out of the way, let's have a serious conversation. The only serious conversation, said Alan Robeck, is whether or not to have them prosecuted, which we could. Believe me, Jane, I would be more than happy to walk right back into the courtroom with them if I thought it would protect my interests and this school. Protect your interests, Alan. That's awfully funny, coming from a man who was close personal friends with both Jeffrey Epstein and Robert Durst. There was a sharp silence in the room just then. Are you being serious, Doctor? Perhaps you were being serious when Villa Americana was developing a new type of chewing gum that caused internal bleeding if swallowed. You aren't supposed to swallow it. You remember that? 2005, you built it right here in Columbus, Alan, remember that? Those little children must have been afraid for their lives. I won't hear this. And then there's my favorite. Perhaps we should talk about how you managed to court the business of an anonymous German executive by letting him stick his fingers in your son's mouth. They tasted like sawdust, Tristan suddenly said. Shut the fuck up, you burned out sack of horse shit. If I hear one more word out of you, I will have you wait in the car. No, Dad. I'm not waiting in the car anymore. I'm a big boy now. You can't boss me around like you used to when I was being rambunctious. Mr. Robeck started to say something, but as he opened his mouth, he sat back down and felt his chest and said, All right, Jane. Point well made. But, Hewlett, I want this ruling to stand. Believe me, sir, it does. These cheap blackmail tricks won't work on you, sir. And they're not the way to be a hero, isn't that right? That's certainly correct, President Hewlett. It's not heroic at all. <laughs> In fact, I think this rebellion was uneducated, irresponsible, and immature. Braden, said Olivia, the world shook the night that you shot that lightning bolt into the ground. Our time went out of joint. Didn't you feel that? That was a weather balloon. Or a seagull. No, I think we should stand firm in the decision. And as he said that, I thought back to that day standing by the flagpole. I thought of how he had smacked Kevin. Soft. That was what Kevin had said. And all at once, I knew there was one last card to play, and I said, Do you now? Do you stand firm? Yes, I do. That certainly is interesting, isn't it? That's... Big talk, isn't it? And Olivia must have seen what I was doing because she added, Certainly big talk for a man who likes to play dress-up in tidy-whities. I... This suit is not white, and it's only tight because it needs to fit snugly. Mm, she said, No, babe, it's a good look for you. Honestly, it is. I bet all the ladies just love it almost as much as they probably love your race car bed that goes from vroom. I do not have a race car bed. I have California King. Oh, okay. Well, whatever you say, pal, whatever you say. Stop trying to bait me. It's not going to work because I am a superhero. No, you're a psychopath in a latex suit. Probably the only latex you know, said Olivia. Stop saying these things, he said. You're a very sad little boy, aren't you? With your IBS and your loneliness. It must be a great comfort for you to play hero, but deep down, I think you know that this is going to come crumbling down around you any minute now. I am a hero. I am a real hero. I am Electro-Man. You're a real big boy hero, said Olivia. I'm a big boy! That's not what I heard, she said. And he started towards her, but before he could reach her, I grabbed his shoulder and said, Brayton, 
pick on someone your own size. Well, relatively speaking, anyway. And that did it. With one hand, he grabbed my throat and slammed me down against the desk, and he said, Don't you insult me! Don't you fucking insult me! And he pressed both of his hands against my windpipe, and I tried to sit up. He pushed me back down. I tried to kick him, but he was out of reach. And then... I saw Noah and my mother attempting to pull him off me, but to no avail, and I was letting out this wheezing, struggling sound, and for a moment I could feel the life leaving me. And then my hand brushed up against Dr. Collins' old letter opener, and without thinking I swung it into his side, and I buried it in Braden Vandersloot's right arm, and he let out this howl and fell back, and I sat there just gasping for breath and trying to stop myself from falling over. Oh, and my mother came over and pressed me against her. And Mr. Hewlett said, Damn it, Will, you're getting his blood all over my rug. Apologies, I said. I'm sure a very good dry cleaner could save it. Possibly have it martinized, whatever that means. And Mr. Robeck turned to Tristan and said, You're an idiot. What did I do? You just had to make a real-life superhero like in your dumb fucking comic books. I thought it would be a good idea. I didn't mean to do wrong, Papa. The children were just emasculating him is all. It's not small, whined Brayden. Oh, shut the fuck up, you limp-dick failure. You can kiss your talk show goodbye for that little stunt. No. And the cookbook. I beg you to reconsider. No. No reconsiderations. Oh, and you, Tristan, you know what this little stunt is going to cost. What it's going to cost you when word gets out that your project almost killed the boy in front of all these witnesses. Surely we can get rid of all the witnesses, said Tristan. Some of your business associates must need new organs. Not this time, Tristan. I'm sorry, but this time it's going to cost you. I'm cutting you off. But, but... Daddy, Daddy, you can't. I simply refuse. It's too late. You, oh, goodness me, you can't refuse. Who's Daddy's happy little prince? It's not going to work. I am, I am. Who's the boy girls love to kiss? Stop it. I am, I am. It's not going to work, Tristan. You failed. You're a failure. You're a failure who fails. I'm sorry. We'll try again in a few years. Once you've learned, once you've learned, and Mr. Robeck stuck out his left arm as though something was bothering him. Daddy? At that point, Mr. Robeck began to clutch at his chest, and he said, I... Oh, God. And he stumbled onto his knees and said, Oh, like, somebody please call somebody? Could somebody help me? And then he fell to his side and began to whimper and said, Tristan, do something. Just someone do something, please. But none of us did anything. We all looked at Tristan, and gradually, Tristan began to smile. He placed his phone on the floor next to the struggling man, and Alan Robeck reached out to take it, but before he could, Tristan kicked it to the other end of the room. Please, said Tristan, by all means, if anyone feels that his life is worth saving, you all have phones, call 911. I reached into my pocket and felt my phone, but then my mother's hand tightened on my shoulder. And slowly I pulled my hand out again and just sat there watching. You bastard, said Alan Robeck. I will write you out of... Please, somebody! 
and we watched as slowly Mr. Robeck crawled to where the phone had come to rest, and with his right hand he picked it up and began to dial, but before he could, Tristan reached down and plucked it from his hand and said, With that heart, you really are no good to the company. We need some younger, healthier blood, wouldn't you say? And I could see the despair in the old man's eyes, and he said, Sorry, Dad. I think you understand. It's just good business. And Tristan put the phone back in his pocket, and the old man sagged onto his stomach and pressed his head onto the floor, and he didn't move again. Without one word of consideration, Tristan stepped over the old man's body and sat down in Dr. Collins's chair. Well, he said, this is a tragic loss, poor daddy. He always did have a bad heart. I think tomorrow I'm going to go in and propose that for the sake of consistency, no offense, Bray, but we need to keep it in the family. A Robeck should really sit at the head of the table, I think, but with that in mind, I am now open to negotiations, so let's negotiate. What is it going to take for us all to keep mum about what happened here today? And my mother said, I want them unexpelled. Done. Other Alan, uh, we need to change that name. You're Glenn now. Okay, Glenn, re-enroll the kids, and I don't care, give them a full ride. Yes, sir, said Glenn Hewlett. What else? I want a public apology for the experiment, and I want you to help find and restore all of the kids that your father tested on. Spicy, said Tristan. I like it. But on our end, we get to spin it like it was our idea, and I get to keep producing the Electro Man cartoons. Deal. And I want the Panopticon and the cameras gone, and I want Dawn deinstalled from the computers. That's quite a lot. And I want the professors back, I want the AIs gone, and I want Dr. Collins back. Absolutely not, said Glenn Hewlett. It is my divine right, as president for life of Windler University, to... You can do it, said Jess, or Will and I can email some very pretty pictures to Susan. What do you want with my wife? Oh, I said, we don't want anything. I just think she'll want something, because... Did you know that when you expelled us, Jess and I had time to take up a new hobby? Photography. Now, some people like to photograph trees, some people like cute animals, and those were fun for a little while, but what Jess and I like to do is we like to follow certain creeps to seedy motel rooms with their uh, lady friends for a little tete-a-tete. You're bluffing. What Katie and I do in that motel room is a business expense. And Jess took out a flash drive and said, all the pictures are on here. If you step down, it's yours. If you don't, well, we might have to make a very special Facebook message for Susan. You're, you beast. This is villainy. This is villainy. You're a skank, a vicious little skank. And you, you heartless, conceited monster. I know. <laughs> Isn't it great? All this time, I've been pretending to the contrary, but what a waste! It's so much more fun to just be a fucking monster. It seems your hands are tied, Glenn, said my mother, and I believe the rest of the trustees also have spouses. They're not all unfaithful. So easy to alter photos, though. You never can tell. Tristan unwrapped one of Dr. Collins's desk peppermints and said, Ouch, <laughs> looks like they got you there, Glenn. I want something, said Noah. I want you to tell me. Did your father kill David, or did he have David killed? 
I honestly don't know. What my father did as CEO of this company is a mystery to me. All I know is that now there's a young person in charge and we can run it ethically. Does that answer your question? No, said Noah. I'm certain that it does. Very well, my friends, you have your wishes. The idiot will be reinstalled and all traces of the company will be scrubbed from this backwater institution. Does that sound agreeable? We all generally kind of nodded amongst ourselves, and he said, Stellar. And then to Heloise, he said, Now, secretary lady, please come and get my fucking father's corpse off of the rug. And then we opened the doors of the academic building and stepped outside. The day was bright and warm and sunny, and aside from the, well, we'll call it accidental homicide we just witnessed, the day seemed at least a little bit better than it had when we'd come in. And my mother gave me a hug and said, Are you all right? I'm okay, I said. I could maybe use some tea, though. And just then the door opened and Glenn Hewlett came out and said, Bradford! I don't know where you think you get off with a stunt like that. Ignore him, said Jess. He's just pissed that we got the better of him. I'm talking to you, Miss Missy. We had a deal. We had a verbal handshake. Now give me the flash drive. I'm not so sure you should have it now, the way you've been acting. And Glenn grabbed her by the arm and she said, let go of me. Give me the flash drive. I don't want you to have it. Those pictures are private. You have no right to them. Now give them back. But before he could finish the sentence, he lost his footing. And Jess pushed against him and his hand fell away from her arm. And then he stumbled for a moment and staggered backwards and fell down the stairs. And his leg gave a horrifying, nauseating crack, and he let out a loud, whimpering scream of, My leg! You you mean bitch, you broke my leg! And Jess threw the flash drive at him. It bounced against his head and landed on the sidewalk, and she said, Oh, man, up. And then, with him still shouting curses at her, she began to walk off. And we followed her, not bothering to make eye contact with Glenn, as he shouted and carried on, and Noah said, Well, are you happy now? And Jess smiled and said, inordinately. My mother walked me back to my dorm. Trevor wasn't there, so we sat inside and she said, Are you sure you're okay? I'm fine, Mom. I'm really fine. She held my hand for a bit. But I don't feel good about what we did today. I think it was wrong not to call for help, wasn't it? Well... Look at it this way, Will. You saw how quickly he went. I think even if you had called 911, they still wouldn't have been able to save him, you know? Yeah, I said. So what happened with Grandma? Your grandmother put me in a very awkward position. I said some things, she said some things, we started arguing, and then... Yeah? She gave me my father's gun and asked me to shoot her. What? Yeah, your grandmother wants me to kill her. She doesn't want to go through hospice or through a home. She just wants to be done, but she doesn't want to do it herself. Uh, Did you? Well, not yet. I was hoping she was joking, but she wasn't, and now I need to decide what I'm going to do with this. I take it you're not moving to Michigan? No, I don't think I will. I think I'm going to stay here and sweat it out. Then can I just say... I think you and Patty should go to Australia. Well, no, Mom, I mean it. You should take the summer and you should go. What about you? I'll find something. I I will, but you should go. 
but I want us to spend more time together. That's what this has all been about. I will be here when you get back. I'm not going anywhere. Well, I'll have to see. And then she said, Will, do I make you proud? Of course you do. Why do you even ask? I just wanted to know. Do I make you proud? Every day, she said. Every single day. So, here's what happened after that in as little time as possible. A few days after the negotiation, it was made public by Villa Americana that Alan Robeck had died of a coronary at the age of 63. It was also announced that the board had voted unanimously to appoint his son, Tristan, the interim head of Villa Americana. Tristan then cleansed the board of his father's most ardent supporters and installed new ones. At the funeral, he called his father a great and wise man who taught him everything about life. He said that his goal now was to correct his father's few mistakes, to make Villa Americana a more honorable and trustworthy company. He said that he was going to sing a few bars of his father's absolute favorite song in the hopes that it would offer everyone comfort. And after that, he began to recite the entirety of Don't Stop Believin' by Journey, as if it was poetry. Two days later, he closed the Columbus, Ohio warehouse and laid all the employees off. Poor performance, so he said. When that happened, I thought back to a year ago, when Paul Renton had threatened that if we went through with the suit, the warehouse would be shut down and everyone would lose their jobs. I had thought that he was bluffing. Now, sometimes I ask myself, was it worth it? And to be honest, I don't know. I really don't know. But here's what I do know. A few days after Glenn Hewlett stepped down as president, Dr. Collins was fished out of one of the school's dumpsters where he was living amongst the possums for a few weeks. And when he was pulled out, he was singing the school's song, Oh, Windler, Fair, Where My Heart Lies, in a language that he had made up. Heloise had him showered, shaved, fed a hamburger, and put back at his desk within the hour. Do you know where you are? She asked him. Uh, I think... I'm a king, college president of Windler University. Ah, oh, yes, my beloved Windler. Tell me, how is the baseball team doing this year? Full of pip and ra-cha-cha, I expect. Do you know who I am? Y you're my secretary. Yes, you're, um, Happleby's. She patted him on the head and said, that's close enough. And so it was that Dr. Collins, being in full possession of his former mental faculties, issued a decree that all traces of Villa Americana would be wiped from the campus. We would still need security cameras. Just not from Villa. A college can be a dangerous place, and there are some students who will always be predators, and as such, there should always be some level of surveillance. This seems fair to me. A few days later, Dr. Collins called a large campus-wide meeting on the football field. We all sat in the bleachers, and he explained to us that this had been an odd and unorthodox semester, that while he wasn't sure we'd received the best education under the AI professors, he didn't feel like having us retake all of these classes this close to finals, so if we were willing to just be chill about it, he would list all of the AI-taught classes as pass-fail and agree to say that we had all passed, if that was good with us. Which... I think it was. At that point, there was a thundering sound as a car came speeding downhill towards us, and suddenly a car marked in the colors of our noxious, nasty-ass rival school, Prescott College, which is a college and not a university, came speeding onto our football field. 
Hot crackers, said Dr. Collins. What manner of jacasserie is this? Dr. Prunk rolled the window down and shouted, Suck it, Collins! You suck it, Prunk! Wretched, aimless gadabout! Miserable poltroon! Dr. Prunk sped off, breaking through the fence yet again. Dr. Collins turned to Heloise and said, Ready the child cannons. And to us he said, Once more onto the breach, dear friends! Olivia got done with finals first. I stopped by her room as she was clearing it out, and I said, You got a minute? Literally one. I've got to catch a plane back to Texas. Are you okay? I asked. I'm good. All in all, I think we crammed a lot into this year. It's definitely not what I thought freshman year would be. No, it never is, is it? Well, listen, for what it's worth, Olivia, I just wanted to say I'm really glad that you came to Windler. I wouldn't have missed it, she said. For all the crazy shit, Will, this has been incredible. We're still okay, by the way. What's that? I talked with Mr. Floofles, and apparently whatever happened that night, it was the catastrophe, or part of it, but both of those visions are still there. Good. So do we have to do anything with them now? Personally, what I'm going to do is go back to Austin, get a big old cooler of Mike's Hard Lemonade, and just enjoy the summer. That sounds lovely, I said. And so the last days went. I talked with Jess. She told me that after the year she'd had, after all the ups and downs, she didn't want to think about school. Nor did she want to think about how she was approaching her senior year. So shut up, Noah. What she wanted was to go back to Seattle, live alternating weeks with her parents, and work in a movie theater. To just enjoy this one last summer of being young before everything had to change. She hugged me tightly and said, Please tell your mom thank you for everything. I will, I said. I have no idea what their sessions were like, but I'm glad my mother was able to help her. The next morning, Jess got up early and got on a plane. She texted me that she touched down in Seattle, and I texted her a meme. She took a day to notice it, which could have offended me if it wasn't Jess. I knew that that meant that she was home and relaxing and probably happy. And I like to think that I know Jess pretty well by now. I should, anyway. <laughs> After all, we were married. Trevor apologized to me once again the day of his last final. He tried to explain to me that he didn't want to risk expulsion. He didn't want to go back to Indiana like that, and I told him not to think anything of it. I understood, and I do. I really do. I like Trevor. But I don't think I'll room with him again if I get the chance. It's nothing personal, but a good roommate needs to be someone you can trust. And I don't think you can ever really trust a weak person. But speaking of people who are not weak, Noah came on my last radio show of the year. I let him guest DJ. He looked happy. A couple times, he actually was laughing. And afterwards, we ate pizza in my dorm's common room, and I tried to tell him once again that what had happened to David was not his fault. At the end of the day, though, I'm not sure he heard me. He changed the subject and said, You know what I think I'm going to do when I get home is reread The Lord of the Rings. You should do that, I told him. Kevin came downstairs then, and he looked a little bit skittish when he saw us and said, Oh, uh, 317A and you. I thought that you had already retreated to your mud holes for the summer. I'll just be going. Kevin, do you want some pizza? Oh, uh, well, I shouldn't. It would give me the bloats. One piece. You want me to eat 
pizza with you? I suppose I do. And he sat with us and took a piece, and gradually he began to nibble at it like a squirrel. I looked at him and I said, I really should thank you for sticking up for us the other day, by the way. Well, I don't know what you mean. With Braden. That was really brave of you. Yeah, said Noah. You're a good guy sometimes, Kevin. And Kevin looked almost touched for a moment and said, Well, of course I am. Unlike you two box trolls, some of us walk on the straight and narrow. Well, either way, we're really going to miss you next year, Kevin. Congrats on graduating. <laughs> oh, 317A, how droll and stupid you sound. I may be graduating, but Windler University is a university and not a college. They offer advanced degrees, and I intend to stay and complete my master's, perhaps my doctorate, and hopefully someday I shall be a professor here. And Noah said, I thought you weren't supposed to get your advanced degrees where you got your undergrad. Well, mother doesn't want me going out of state, so my options are limited. But rest assured, you've not seen the last of me. I'm going to be returning to my old stomping grounds, the second floor of Parency Hall. Oh, Noah, that's where you're going to be stationed next year. And I looked at Noah, and he was looking very blankly at us. A thin trickle of blood started running from his left nostril, and I said, Are you okay? Yep. I'm just so thrilled for you. There is one last thing worth telling. The day before my final final, I went up to the anthropology department to feed the sentient fetish doll its daily omelette when I came across a familiar face. It was Dr. Gelpie. You remember Dr. Gelpie. He wrote a chapter of a book on me back when I was the Davenport Lake monster. And also, he was my, I want to say worst, anthro professor last year. I wasn't expecting him to stop and chat, but I was wrong. Dr. Gelpie had been out all year, first on sabbatical and then fired and replaced by an AI. It had been a complicated journey, but he was back now. He had accepted his old position and was eager to get back to doing research, and more to the point, he told me that in the wake of the court case, he had heard all about me. About my background, about who I was, about what I'd been. He told me that he was sorry about how last semester had gone, how he had been irresponsible and hurtful, and the apology seemed genuine. I told him I understood, everyone makes mistakes, and then he told me that while he didn't know what my summer plans were, he was going to be conducting a research trip to Iceland starting in early June and running to late July. Two months, more or less, of studying Icelandic folklore, and he needed bright students to come with him, and would I be interested in tagging along? There would be a $10,000 stipend and travel expenses covered, of course, and I told him I'd think about it. But in my heart of hearts, I knew I wanted to go. I had never been abroad, and Iceland seems so beautiful. So that night at dinner, I talked about it with my mother, and I told her that I knew she wanted us to spend more time together, and that if she didn't want me to go, I wouldn't. And she took my hand and told me that earlier that day, she and Patty had bought tickets to Australia. They would be leaving in mid-June and staying there in an Airbnb until Dean's cruise docked. So... I guess we're going to be literally on the other side of the world to each other for a bit. I guess so, she said. And she told me, of course, that this is only temporary. That there was something more permanent that we could look forward to when we got back. And that was because 
In her quest to find something new to do with her life, on a whim, she had asked Dr. Collins for a meeting earlier that day. One of the psych professors that had been replaced by an AI had elected not to return, and now the spot was vacant. It was a long shot, but was there any way he would consider interviewing her for the post? Normally, he told her, an application like this would require careful vetting and lots of consideration, but we need to fill the position ASASA now. So, if you don't mind being listed as a visiting associate professor, you've got the gig. And she hadn't minded. And so now, as it stands, my mother is going to be teaching at Windler University, and to that I say, why not? So does a visiting associate professor salary pay better than a clinical psychiatrist, I asked her. And she was quiet for a moment and said, Shut up, Will. And at last, this brings us to David. I went up to my room to find Dolores asleep on my bed. I patted her tummy a few times, and she nipped at my hand, and I found myself staring at the little baggie of ashes that had been perched on my dresser for a little bit. I went over to it, and I said... You would have been so mad at me. The way I acted was abominable. Just way too human. You'd have hated it. And just then, I knew what I wanted to do with David's ashes. We drove up that weekend to Davenport. The town looked every bit as beautiful as it had the last time I'd been there. It was too early for mayflies yet, but there were dragonflies, and I liked them better. It was odd. This place had seemed so scary just a year before, but now as we drove through past the line of ice cream stores and B&Bs and saltwater taffy stands, it was really just another town. And as we drove by the houses, I tried to picture in my head which ones I'd sought shelter in as a child, but I couldn't. They all just looked like houses to me now. And the Monster Museum was closed. This had happened during the trial when the town had realized that Curtis Blanford had lied all this time about killing me, and by proxy had realized that there is no such thing as monster insurance. Oh, it was a lovely sight, said the old lady who sold us our ice cream. Once we realized he was a fraud and a liar, we had him tarred and feathered and run out of town, and my, my, dearie dear, it was delightful. Some of us, myself included, wanted to slit his gullet and have a good old-fashioned blood orgy, but the town council said no, and well, I guess some people just haven't a single ounce of class these days. Not one ounce of class. We ate the ice cream in relative silence. She got mint chocolate, I got orange cream. It was a very hot night, and we had to struggle to eat it before it got all over our hands. And then after the ice cream was gone, I looked out at the dock. It was very quiet. No one was around, and she said, Do you want me to come? If you don't mind, I'd like a minute alone. She nodded. And so I took the bag, and I walked to the edge of the dock. The sun was streaking against the sky, this beautiful purple, pink, and orange, like a wildfire. And I looked down at the bag, and I said, I hope that it's as beautiful as you always wanted it to be. And I opened the bag, and I took a breath, and then I swung my arm forward, and I scattered the ashes out over the lake. And as the wind carried them, I thought about David, one of the kindest souls I'd ever known. I thought about the life he might have lived if things had gone different. If the world was a kinder place, he could have been happy. And I really believe that. 
But I guess in the end, he was happy, wasn't he? Even if it wasn't forever, and even if his death was tragic, I think he was a mostly happy person deep down, and I think there's courage in just that. More courage than I have sometimes. And then, the ashes were gone. They shimmered over the lake's surface, and I smiled at them, and then... I took off my shoes and dipped my toes in the water, and it was perfect. Not too hot, not too cold. A fish brushed up against me, and birds sang, and the evening sun glowed beautifully. And my mother sat down beside me and put her arm around my shoulder and said, What are you thinking about? Nothing at all, I told her. And for the first time since I can remember, that was actually true. And then I rested my head against her shoulder, and we watched the sun go down over the lake. The air was clear, and for a moment, I couldn't tell where I ended and the world around me began. And to be honest, I didn't mind that one bit. And now, now, finally, after all that, now, breathe out. Dryland was created by, written by, and performed by Adam Frost Venrick as Will Hughes. Of course, no creative project, especially one of Dryland's scope, can be accomplished alone. And therefore, as we reach the end of the season, I'd like to take a moment now and acknowledge and thank all of the people who lent their time and talent to make this season of Dryland a reality. Thank you to Ethan McAtee, Michelle Schrader-Lowry, Ariel Russell, Gail Frost-Venrick, Anaya Fernandez-Doki, Asher Berksen-Gold, Leanna Bertrand, Francesca DiFrancesco, and William Maine. Thank you all, and thank you all for listening, and please tune in next time for more Dryland.